When we're first getting to know someone, one of our first questions usually is, what is your name? Then we might ask, what do you do? We're learning about knowing the Holy Spirit and we want to ask Him, what do you do? We know His name. His name is Comforter, Helper. We know what He does. He is God. Get your Bible and let's talk about what He does. The disciples were going to have the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Christ's great commission to go into the world was to be executed and achieved by the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told the disciples that the world would hate and persecute and even kill them because the world had done that to Jesus. They knew to expect that. But if they were going into a hostile world to take the gospel, they would have to have a supernatural power. So the Holy Spirit would come alongside them to be their helper, their comforter, their empowerer. So Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was the person that Jesus sent in his place. We must not think that the Holy Spirit did not begin his work until Pentecost. The first reference to the Holy Spirit is in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. And the Bible says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. That word moved literally means hovered over, brooded over. So the first mention of Him, of the Holy Spirit, is when He was brooding and hovering at the creation of the world. In Genesis 1-1, we know in the beginning, God. Now that name for God in that verse is Elohim, and it is a plural name. It is a name that represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So they were together creating the world. Genesis 1 verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we've got these plurals right there in the beginning of the Bible. And there it's always a reference to God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was at work in creation. Then in second Chronicles 24, 20, we just might better turn there. Second Chronicles 24, 20. Let me show you something. This passage is about Zechariah 24:20. And what we see here is that the spirit of God came on Zechariah. So there we see the Holy Spirit coming on a person. It's the scriptural use of the words for it. it the Holy Spirit of God came 
on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And then look in the book of Numbers. Be back to your left, Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And so we want to go all the way back to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. And let's look beginning in verse 18. Verse 18. And the Bible says, and say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat for you have wept in the tears of the Lord saying, oh, that someone would give us meat to eat for we were well off in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor 10 days, nor 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 on foot. Yet thou hast said, I will give them meat in order that they may eat for a whole month. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them? Lord, how am I going to do this? Is what he's saying to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together? How is this even possible, Lord? And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. Also, he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and stationed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and he took of the spirit the Holy Spirit who was upon him and placed him upon the 70 elders. And it came about that when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, the name of the other Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them. So that's what I want you to see about the Holy Spirit here in the book of Numbers. He rested on men. In Chronicles, he came on men. In Numbers, he rested on men. Uh, let's just go on back to the book of Exodus. Genesis, Exodus, the second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 5. Exodus 31, 1 through 5. Now the Lord spake to Moses, saying, See, I have, um, let's see. Yeah, 31. See, I have called by name Bezalel. I don't know how you say that. Son of Uri, the son of Hur, the son of the tribe of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood that he may work all kinds of craftsmanship. So here he's filling a man to empower him to do these incredible things in craftsmanship. So the, in the Old Testament, sometimes the spirit would depart when a person's task was done. 
He would come on a person for a while. And then when he was finished, he would leave. The Holy Spirit would leave. He also might withdraw when one disobeyed. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14, um, the scripture says this, it's referring to Saul. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So there are times when the spirit is there, but he leaves. Um, look at the book of Judges. The book of Judges. This is, um, this is frightening scripture to me. Frightening is probably not a good word. It's disturbing because it makes me know what I can do. Um, Judges chapter 14 and verse 19. This is talking about Samson. You'll remember Samson and the great strength that the Lord gave him. Um, so Judges chapter 14 and verse 19. It's talking about Samson. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of them and took their spoil and gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle and his anger burned and he went up to his father's house. Now that's a great story. But what we see here is the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit coming upon Samson so that he might defeat an enemy so that he can fight. But look over in Judges chapter 16, Judges chapter 16 and verse 20. This is Sam Samson's humiliation. You remember his relationship with Delilah and she had just kept after him to tell her what, how he had strength. And we know from scripture that the strength of the Lord had something to do with his obedience and not cutting his hair. And finally, one day, Samson broke down and told her. She was not his best friend the way he thought she was. And she told the Philistines, and while he was asleep, they cut his hair. And he lost his power because he lost his obedience to the Lord. But I want you to look at, Sam, at Judges chapter 16 and verse 20. And she said... Well, go back to verse 19. She made him sleep on her knees, that's his Delilah, and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. And then she began to afflict him and his strength left him. And verse 20, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. This is the scary part. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. For us to be in that position of not even knowing when the Holy Spirit departs from us or backs off from us. So here he can uh, depart from a person because he's disobedient. In Psalm chapter 51 and verse 11, this was David's prayer after his sin with Bathsheba. And this is what he prayed. Cast me not away from thy presence and do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. So the Holy Spirit was at work before the world began and he was active throughout the, whole, the Old Testament. Let's go to the Gospels. Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one and verse 35. Luke 1, 35. Notice what the angel said 
to the Virgin Mary. And the angel answered and said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. So Jesus was begotten. He was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. Um, then in Luke chapter four and verse one, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led about by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Then down in chapter four and verse 18, Jesus um, gave his own job description. It's, he got it out of the book of Isaiah in chapter 61 in verse one, but he left off one phrase. But here he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So what was upon him? The spirit of the Lord. Look in Romans, Romans chapter eight and verse 11. Romans chapter eight and verse 11. But if the spirit of him, that's the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your model, mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. Hmm. Now we've got a big change here. We've got a big change coming from the Old Testament and the activity of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament to the activity of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit was at work among the disciples before Pentecost. Look at the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John chapter 14 and verse 17. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And when Jesus speaks, he said, he, the Holy Spirit abides with you, abides with you, but he will be in you in you. There's a whole big difference between the Holy Spirit being with me until this great event in Bible history, when all of a sudden then the Holy Spirit was in us. So when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, it was a far greater measure than anything they had ever experienced before. The members of the early church were totally transformed and the power that they received on, at Pentecost is characteristic of that era that gave us the whole New Testament, where they were bowed to the Holy Spirit and He was controlling them and He was moving among them and He was empowering them to fulfill the Great Commission and take the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So the Holy Spirit was promised. The promise was fulfilled. The disciples were changed. The Holy Spirit 
indwells every believer today. And his power is available today. So the Holy Spirit is the person who transforms human nature. That's one of the big things that he does. He transforms human nature. So the Holy Spirit is here in the world because he has a work to do. And we're going to outline this in today and in the coming lessons that he has a work to do in three areas. He has a work to do in the world. He has a work to do in the individual believer. And he has a work to do in the church. So in John chapter 16 and verse 8, Jesus gave that outline of the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. And so John 16, 8, Jesus is speaking and he says, and he, that is the Holy Spirit, when he, the Holy Spirit comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer are, and, and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So this world convict, uh, that's in this translation. He, when he comes, will convict the world. That word can also be translated reprove or rebuke. And it means to expose, uh, to indict by evidence. Some of you may have served on a grand jury. You know what it is for a person to be indicted. That means that you believe there's enough evidence to convict them. Um, it means to prove guilty. It means that he will roll out the evidence and the verdict is guilty. So that's the job of the Holy Spirit in the world, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Or let's just say to expose to the world the truth about sin the truth about righteousness and the truth about judgment. So he's exposing the guilt of the people of the world. Who are the people of the world? They're unsaved people, unsaved people, people who are not believers yet. And so the sin, the sin here is the sin of not believing in Jesus. And he's going to prove them guilty because he has enough evidence to indict them. So then Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will convict or expose righteousness. He will convict or expose righteousness. What is righteousness? It's to be in right standing with God. How do we get that? By being saved. So this believer at salvation, a believer is declared righteous because the righteousness of Christ is put to his account. God's holiness dwells in the believer. How does that happen? By the presence of the Holy Spirit, by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is going to convict. He's going to expose. He's going to explain. And so Believers then are going to understand righteousness, but the world is going to understand sin. The world is going to understand sin. Uh, right there in chapter 16 and verse 13, 
Jesus called the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. Let that rest in your mind for a bit. Wrap your mind around that because the Holy Spirit is always going to tell the truth. We're in a world today that's not caring too much about truth. The Holy Spirit cares about truth and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he, we're promised, Jesus promised that he is going to guide you, guide any person into all truth into all truth. So understand about the Holy Spirit. He always tells the truth. He always proclaims the truth. That's all he is. He is the spirit of truth. Okay. That's a contrast because the Bible also tells us that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. So there's the contrast. Satan is the liar. He's the prince of darkness. Here's the Holy Spirit. He is truth and he's going to tell the truth. Well, how does he do that? By God's word, by God's word. Uh, notice that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin. He would convict the world of sin. Did you see that? It's in uh, back in John 16 and verse eight, when he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin. He doesn't say sins. He doesn't say sins, but then he clarifies the sin. There is one particular sin. There is one sin that would send somebody to hell. And that is the sin of not believing Jesus. One. What did he say? He will convict the world concerning sin, concerning sin, verse nine, because they do not believe in me. That's the sin. That's the sin. And so there's this one particular sin of not believing in Jesus. See, sin is the root. Sins are the fruit. Sometimes we tend to think that we are sinners because we sinned. The truth is that we are born sinners. We are born with a sin nature and we sin because we're sinners. You don't have to teach a young child to sin, to rebel, to tell a fib. Did you do that? No, when you know he did. We don't have to be taught that, why? Because we are born sinners. We're born sinners. And when we're born sinners, that means we're going to commit sins. But there's one sin, one sin that will send us to hell. And that is the sin of not believing Jesus. Scripture says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become children of God, sons of God, all having the position a firstborn son, okay? Whether we're female or male, then that's who we are when we're born into Christ. And so the big question here is, have you received Jesus as Savior and Lord? That's the first sin that has to be corrected. Now, here's what happens in the New Testament. We'll talk about this more in our next session. Once we're saved, at the moment we're saved, that Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. Scripture is clear that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. So that's what it is to be born again, is the Holy Spirit that makes us born again the second time in a new way. 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so he is the one who produces salvation in us. And when he does that, he indwells us. And now living in us is the righteousness and holiness of God himself. So that sin nature that is in me has been converted. It has been transformed so that now I am what God intended for me to be in the first place. That's what he intended for us to be in the first place. That's the way he created Adam. And then when Adam fell, he lost that. He lost it. And so now the Holy Spirit, instead of being with us or among us like he was in the Old Testament, now he is in us and he's not going to leave. He left Samson. He left those people. Sometimes he would rest on them for a while and leave. That's the Old Testament work of the Holy Spirit. New Testament, woo, everything changes. And from Pentecost on, every person that comes to Christ as a believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now what happens is that sin of not believing in Christ is taken care of. Now, am I going to still commit sins? Yes. And that Holy Spirit in me is going to be grieved. But one of his jobs is to continue to keep me cleansed and purified. That's what he does. It's his job. And I learned to walk in cooperation with him in doing that. And so the sin that sends a person to hell is the sin of rejecting Christ. That's number one. We got to get that in our minds. We got to get it and hold on to it. There is no righteousness in any human being that can bring one into the presence of God. There is no righteousness in any human that can bring me with my own righteousness into the presence of God. One has got to possess the righteousness of Christ. And when you believe Christ and receive him, then he gives you his righteousness. And because we have his righteousness, that makes us be able to enter the presence of God. That's why in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, there was a curtain. There was a veil. And when Jesus died, what happened? Whoosh, that veil was split from top to bottom, opening the presence of God making him accessible, but also indwelling us as we're saved with the Holy Spirit so that we can walk into his presence. So we can only do that when we believe Christ and receive him and he gives us his righteousness. That's why we're miserable after we're saved and we sin. That's when the battle starts. Because before you're saved and the Holy Spirit is not there, you can sin and it won't bother you. But once the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and you sin, you are miserable. It's a warfare because it's the Holy Spirit reacting in you to the holiness of God in contrast to the sinful world. That's what's happening. So the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, but he also convinces mankind that Jesus is the righteousness of God. He will convict the world of sin, 
of righteousness. And so he's going to convict the world. He's going to convict mankind that Jesus is the righteousness of God. So it's the Holy Spirit who is showing sinners that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes unto the Father except by him. That's what the Bible says. So the Holy Spirit also convicts the world of judgment because the prince of this world is judged and all who refuse God's offer of eternal life will be judged. So is the Holy Spirit exposing your heart to truth? Is he exposing your heart to the truth about your sin, to the truth about his righteousness that's available to you? If he is, bow before him and receive it. He will do the work and we'll continue right there in our next session. God bless you.